Hello, it's Yotam here. Thank you for continuing to listen to Simple Pleasures. And for anyone new here, I hope you enjoy the series. I wanted to let you know that I have a new cookbook out this September, co-written with Easter Belfridge, who works with me in my test kitchen. It's called Ottolenghi Flavor and is available to order now. Flavor is a vegetable-centered cookbook which focuses on all the different ways in which you can dial up flavor and create fireworks in your cooking, true to the Ottolenghi spirit. Hello and welcome to Simple Pleasures with me, Yotam Ottolenghi. This is a series in which I invite you and a special guest to my home to discuss the simple pleasures in life. From food, mainly food actually, to travel, to art, to food again, we discuss all of this over dishes from my new cookbook, Ottolenghi Simple. To me, simple means ease. It means less anxiety and less stress, doing things that are comfortable and familiar and not always massively challenging. I want to take the guilt out of the equation and inject an extra dose of joy. My first guest is an author, a television presenter, and winner of the Great British Bake Off. It's Nadia Hussein. I wanted to invite Nadia because when I first met her, she told me about her children and her husband and how they navigate their lives. And I immediately thought of her as a person that has got it right. Career, family, the lot. So I want to see if this is actually the case, and if it is, how she does it. I'm cooking for Nadia gnocchi alla romana, which is beautiful Italian semolina dumplings, uh, which my grandmother used to make for me. And I added that very last minute because I had heard that Nadia just loves cheese. I'm also cooking Iranian herb fritters, roasted beetroot with yogurt and preserved lemon, and strawberries with labneh. So let's enjoy Simple Pleasures with Nadia Hussein. Oh, thank you for coming. I, thank you for having me. I've got lots of food for you. Oh, I can't wait. I <laughs> cannot wait. Let's go to the kitchen. My shoes match your lemons on your walk. Yeah, you've got yellow lemons, yellow shoes. I love your shoes. <laughs> so, my guest today is Nadia Hussein, who's just arrived with presents for the kids, which is kind of amazing. I didn't expect that. Nadia, welcome to my podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Uh, thank you for welcoming <laughs> me into your kitchen. It's a lovely it's space. It's a pleasure. Thank you. We're going to talk about anything, really, we want to talk about. But I'm just going to tell you first what I'm cooking for you. Okay. This so. is the interesting <laughs> thing. Go on. What are you cooking for me? I'm going to make Iranian herb fritters. Right. So they've got dill, basil, coriander, uh -huh. and breadcrumbs, barberries, eggs, and... It's just the kind of thing that we used to have when we were growing up, like quick herby fritters. So you just take a lot of egg, all the herbs you've got in the fridge mm -hmm. and fry them. And then we used to stick them into pita bread or any bread to make ah, sandwiches. So is this kind of something that you've grown up eating? It was common everywhere. Okay. So Jews from North Africa and from the Middle East used to make a lot of those. Right. But it's an omelette, really. Uh, but it's got more herbs than, than eggs, so it's kind okay. of very herby omelette. Well, you'll see. It's okay. And I made, I made a beetroot salad with yogurt and dill and preserved lemon and tahini. Yum. Yeah? I just you. have to remember that I've had beetroot later. <laughs> <laughs> uh, gnocchi alla romana, which is completely from a different part yeah. of the world. 
And I only added that last minute because I was reading about you. Right. I know everything about you now. Everything, okay. Apart from the fact that you're gorgeous and you were on, Master, uh, on, on the Bake Off, sorry. Uh, and <laughs> Do you know how many else? people say to you, I get stopped so often, people are like, are you that girl off Master MasterChef? I'm I know. like, nope. No, I know. Uh, so my, my grandma, who's Italian, yeah. used to make gnocchi alla romana, which is semolina dumplings yeah. that are cooked with milk and cheese and then are put under the grill. And I heard you love cheese. I love cheese. Yes. I love cheese. I'm so bad that I... There's like cheese for the grown-ups and there's also little bits of cheese like, you know, Baby Bell and, and that, cheese. You eat that. Oh. My dad loves those cheese. See, the really. problem is I'll finish my cheese. cheese and then I'll look, in the, I'll look in the fridge and be like, oh, I'll just have the kids' cheese. <laughs> I did it last night. I had two Baby Bells last night. Did you? It's so bad. It's, it's an addiction. Yeah. But I love it. It's too good. I know. I, I, when I come home from work and I can't eat anything else because I'm so full yeah. of like tasting really complex stuff all day. I want a glass of wine and a piece of cheese. Just something because simple. Because cheese is, is just ultimately just salty and a little bit rich, and that's all you want. Yeah. Cool. No, I love cheese. You read right. So the gnocchi alla romana is already in the oven. So these are little dumplings made out of, like, you know how you make semolina porridge? Yeah. You just roll them and cut them into circle, and then it goes into the oven with some extra cheese, and then you just wait for it to kind of grill and warm up. Oh, the cheesy goodness. That looks so nice. It will look even nicer when it's properly brown. So it's not like the kind of gnocchi we know where you we, boil it. We don't even use potatoes. Yeah. So it's literally just like a semolina porridge that you cook, you add a bit of butter and cheese, and then you you slice, slice it. So you roll it into sausages, you yeah. slice it, and you put it on the grill. Oh my God, that, looks, that sounds so good. It looks Thank delicious. Thank you. I'm just going to get some herbs from the fridge. Okay. Can I look in your fridge? You look in my fridge. You think? Look, it makes me really happy to see that you have a jar of mayonnaise, just like the rest of us. <laughs> You're a normal human being. I try to be. Well. But what, you... what this, so let me ask, start by asking you a question. You raised three kids. Yeah. And you've done a million other things. And the question that I immediately want to ask is, how do you manage? How do you make it, manage to make it look so effortless? I mean, if it looks effortless to you, I think it wasn't easy early on. It was really hard early on because it's about balance. And I think the one thing we learned after I won Bake Off and then everything kind of just blew up and I found myself very, I was just really, really busy all the time. You're not even looking at your, you're looking at me and you're cutting at the same time. Oh, that's just because I want to show up. <laughs> you're doing a good job. Um, I said to my husband, you know what? You, you always hear about people telling you about marriage being 50-50. And what I've learned is that actually marriage isn't 50-50. Somebody is always putting more into the relationship than someone else. And like right now, I'm probably putting 30 in. And he's putting 70. <laughs> and he's definitely doing 70. But for but, a long time, you put 90 and he put 10, right? I mean, it was pretty much 100. I mean, he would come home and, you know, at bedtime when I've just got them settled and he'd come in and say, Daddy's home from work. And then he would rile them up and they'd be really excited and happy. I'm like, I've just spent an hour calming these children down and you come in and then you spoil it all. And so we used to have these arguments all the time. Did we did. We have similar arguments as yeah. well. Because Carl looks after the kids most of the time. Yeah. I come in and I, it's very easy to be popular when you just, you just come and go. Do you yeah. know that feeling? Oh, absolutely. I do uh, now. I guess you're less popular at the moment. Well, he works from home and he, you know, he does the pickups and the drop-offs. And 
I'm lucky because my 11 year old and 10 year old are really competent in the kitchen. So he doesn't cook. So they come in and I'll leave them post-it notes and say, right, could you just cook this up or make a bolognese or whatever it is that I need them to cook for dinner? And they'll do it. Getting them to the stage where they can actually cook for themselves is incredible. Well, you'll find with kids, you know, when they're hungry, they realize that they just, all they want to do is eat. And if so you're not doing it for them, you're like, well, somebody's got to do it. So and just, just keep them hungry? Is just, that, is... just get them really hungry <laughs> and put them in the kitchen and see what they do. You'll be surprised what they can do because now mine are really confident in the kitchen. So what we learn is just actually, at the moment, I'm putting in a lot less, but he's putting a bit more and it, vice versa. Well, so you have to meet someone who would, play along you must appreciate that you've got someone that would would do that because often in partnership people are not that flexible no i mean there are times when he's just like i'm a little bit fed up you know and and i think he says yeah he says i'm just a tiny bit fed up and and i get that because like with the madness that is this career we don't always get alone time and it's been two and a half years since we've actually done anything without the kids two and a half two years. and a half years and before that i would make it a thing to make sure that we were doing something at least once a month. It's been close to two and a half years. We haven't done anything alone without the kids. And you never tempted to just drop them off with the grandparents and go for a weekend somewhere? I am, and I'm really lucky because I've got sisters who'll have my kids and my mum, she'll have the kids. I just feel really guilty because I don't see them that much at the moment either. So it's the guilt of being a parent that stops us from actually giving us each other time. Yeah, so this is very open of you to say that, but I think a lot of people feel guilty without even ever expressing that. So they're driven by guilt, but they do a lot of things that they don't want to do necessarily and they don't find time for themselves. Yeah, I think being a parent is guilt. That is what it is. And I think I'll spend my whole life feeling guilty for not having done something right. But I think that's what makes me want to be the best. A parent or a mum? Does your husband feel guilty? Yeah, I think he does. I think he's um, he definitely appreciates what I did for eight years. Um, I haven't cleaned a toilet for two and a half years because he does it all. Like He just says, I don't need a cleaner. I can do all of that and myself. And I think you told me that also your kids help around cleaning the house. Like They're actively cleaning. And- Absolutely. Every Sunday, it's like, let's get this house cleaned. And they will... Because I refuse to get a cleaner. Because we live in that house. We make that mess. What am I teaching my kids if I'm... And this is just a personal choice. Yeah, yeah. If I am living in a house and then I get a cleaner, what am I teaching my kids for the future when they go off to university? Will they expect a cleaner to come and do it? It's, if- it's also not how you grew up. I guess you grew up doing... A lot yourself. I mean, you're a big family, right? Yeah, we're one of six. I'm one of six. And then we had so much extended family. Like we, on a weekend, if my dad invited all the family around, there's about 50 of us. And it it fell on the women to do all the cooking and the cleaning. So I don't want to raise my kids, especially my boys, to believe that they get away scot-free. You know, they don't get to clean. And and don't they come back home and say, that's not fair, our friends don't do that. I tell you what I do get, which you'll see, you'll get it. Um... (laughs) Well, our friends get pocket money for doing chores. For doing chores. I'm like, I don't think so. <laughs> Nobody pays me to clean the toilets. You're doing it. So now on a Sunday, they just know to do it. And I reward them in different ways. It's just not pocket money. I give them pocket money for good behavior. For, yeah, for good behavior. Yeah, I'm like, if you do something... Like, the other day, my son ran close to 500 yards to give back a baby's dummy. Like, she dropped it. And he was like, I'll oh, find her. And he ran and he gave this baby who's adamant that he's going to give this baby's dummy back. And he did it and he came back sweating and he said, I gave it, I found the baby. And I was like, do you know what? 
that that is it. Yeah, so we get like a, we have a little reward system and then depending on how well they do at the end of the I'd month. I'd love to copy that. Do you mind if I do? You can, ha- you can have it. It works. It really does work I'll, because they're constantly eager to please. I'll, co- I'll copy the pocket money and the apron. Yes. See? It's good, isn't it? Yeah, it's really good. I'm just, I, it's radio, so they won't know what I'm saying, what I'm doing, but I'm wiping my hands on my bum. So yeah. essentially the thing wraps around the opposite way. Yeah. So you tie it in front and you've got the whole back of your It's a new covered. design right there. Thank you. So I'm going to fry some... What did you put in the... So you put the herbs in the eggs and then you put something else in. Breadcrumbs. That's what it was. Yeah. Okay. And walnuts mm-hmm. and barberries. Have you tried barberries before? I haven't. I was going to say they were pomegranates, but they're not. No, so barberries are a bit like little cranberries. Okay. They used to be grown here in the UK for hundreds of years until, I don't know, Victorian times, and then they fell out of fashion. But where you find them a lot is in Persian cooking in Iran. Okay. So they put them in anything. They're super sharp. And a little bit sweet. So, yeah, a little bit like cranberry. Mm-hmm. But you'll taste them. They're, they're really beautiful. So they kind of dot everything that is really savory with something like sweet and sour. Yeah. I'm just frying the, uh, the fritters here. So they take about, I get two minutes on each side. Mm-hmm. And what I like about these things is that you, they're really nice warm, but they're also, like, really nice at room temperature or cold. You just okay. stick them. So is this the kind of thing that you could make and then stick it in the fridge? Yes. And then just like, you know when you're peckish in the middle of the night? Yeah, just like for that. It. Also for like, a, do you make packed lunches for your kids? Yeah. Yeah. So it's just the best thing for a sandwich. Yeah, it's oh, really nice. Oh, the smells coming off that pan are incredible. It is so packed with herbs. That smells like my mom's house. When, when we were growing up, whenever we were on a weekend, when we were having a fancy breakfast and it wasn't cereal, mum would always make masala omelette. So, like onions, cumin, chilies, coriander, lots of coriander, and it would it smells just, just like, like my mum's. Yeah. Does she still cook for for the family as much as she always does? She is a complete and utter lunatic. My mother is. <laughs> she is nobody. So that's lives, where you got it from. That's where it comes from. <laughs> my mum, she's got six kids, and none of us live with her except for my little brother, and she still cooks like eight curries a day. I'm not even joking. But all these curries, I mean, they, were they always they were always finished? I mean, someone ended up eating them, right? It's a bit like the cakes in your house, like yeah. the three cakes. It gets. I mean, you. Ha- it's just eating is such a big deal in our family. Like eating, like that everything revolves around meal times. And if I ever go to my mom's house and say I've eaten dinner, the look on her face, honestly, such it's like disappointment, dis- disgust. Dis- disgust is the word. She's like, "You did what? You ate before you came to my house." And then she says, "I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that." And then, even though I've already eaten dinner, I have to have dinner again. She'll lose it. I'm scared of her. Because feeding is her part, it's her nature. I mean, it's part of her definition, right? Yeah. That, that's how she sees herself. Yeah. And that's where you get it from. You're definitely a feeder. Look, we've got lots of stuff No, I've here got a biscuit. I didn't know if you were going to be in the mood for sweet or savory, so I put both so on. You're, so you're, you're my kind of feeder. These nuts are delicious. They're roasted with rosemary, a bit of brown sugar. Salty, sweet, herby, yum. Mm. So the gnocchi alla romana, my grandma, she was from Rome, and... That is the flavor of my childhood that I most cherish. That the, the gnocchi with the cheese on top melting, just coming out of the yeah. oven. And there's nothing really substantial there. It's just semolina, milk, nutmeg, and cheese. Kind of, that's, that's all quite... there is. It's rich. Yeah, rich, but But simple. so delicious. And I've always tried to recreate it. Whenever I make it, it's not half as nice as her so just prepare yourself but it's just you know how it is certain things you just can't recreate no it never is like my grandma does this 
cod and like so fish and clementine curry. <gasps> clementine. Yeah. So from where we're from, like in Bangladesh, you've got lots of water, so it's always fresh water, fish and fruit, and so naturally they combine fish and fruit, and that's like my natural go-to. Whenever I cook fish, I always think fruit. So grapefruit, lemon, lime, all of those things work really well. But oranges, like oranges and fish work really well together. So she used to cook clementines and fish. And no matter how I cook it, it never tastes like hers. And I showed her the picture. I remember doing it in my first cookbook. And I said, Nan, 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 look at this. And she's like, that looks wrong. So, ah, okay. <laughs> so I think I identify a theme going on between <laughs> your grandmother and your mother and yourself. You're hard on your children. I right? am a little bit. I am. Oh, my God, I've turned into my mom. <laughs> your grandmom. Oh, my goodness. No, but I think it's just... Actually, it makes complete sense because it turns you into the people that you are. Yeah. It's actually wanting to excel, wanting to be the best, and yeah. never kind of assuming that just because you're a child, everything you do is rosy. You know, it's yeah. like it's just things that you it's, want to get proper I, feedback. I suppose it's balance. Like, I am quite strict with my kids when I say you should clean the house and you shouldn't expect pocket money and you should cook and you should tidy up after yourselves. And I, I feel like I am strict as a parent, but the balance, it's the balance. Even though we run quite a strict house, we have, like, I've just bought a tent and we've just slept the night in a tent in my living room. Because you know what? You, they, they work really hard, my kids do. They have extracurricular activities every day after school. They've got swimming and they've got all sorts of other things that they do outside of school. And the weekend comes and I'm like, my goodness, they've worked just as hard as I have. And so, you know, there's balance. They work really hard, but we have a great time when we're not working. I think that's what, what it's about. Okay, so I think we should... Um, the gnocchi alla romana is ready, so we can have that. And after that... Okay, so we we'll have uh, some of that beetroot salad and the and the herb fritters. Yep. Is that cool? And then I've got a, a little dessert as well. Okay. So let's move over to the table and we'll start start eating. Okay, I can't wait. I am ready. I have never been more ready. Exactly. Oh my god, soft underneath, like crispy on top. Exactly. So. I, I love the fact that I managed to get it to really crisp up and, and melt on top because that is the, the look you're looking for. So melted okay. cheese, slightly caramelized. Slightly disappointed with the portion size, but anyway. You're getting way more after that. <laughs> <laughs> and whatever is left, you can take home with you. But I've noticed that you've done, like, we're, we're eating this on a separate yeah. plate. So I just, you know, because we had this conversation about yeah. separating, which I proved to be, you know, a bit, a, a bit anal about, but I just think... Let's just eat that like Italians and then we can eat like in the Middle East, the okay. next two portions, the so, next two courses. Italy first, Middle East yeah. later. Oh my God. You see why that's like my childhood? Okay. Salty. It doesn't need anything else. No. Semolina, milk, cheese. Uh, nutmeg. Nutmeg. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's it. I feel sorry for anyone who's never had this before. It's like everyone has their own comfort food. Yeah. If I were to be feeling tired and unwell and just need something salty and filling and yummy that would be it. that would be it so this is what I, th that's exactly what i was thinking because you know the the name of the podcast is simple pleasures and i just thought like uh, you're coming here you like cheese i need to kind of deliver the goods right and that is like cheesiness 
in a, on a tray. Oh my goodness, that is like the, one of the most tastiest things I've put in my mouth. <gasps> it really is. Oh and I wasn't expecting to come here and not be bowled over. I knew I'd come here and, and, and you'd cook something and it'd be incredible because I'm expecting that. And I kind of, it must be quite nerve-wracking for you in general. Like when you, I'm nerve-wracked the whole time because you? I, I, you know, I, we have people over sometimes, yeah. not every night or not even once a Does week. Does anyone ever have... tell you that they don't like anything that you cook? Well, my, everybody that every person that is very close to me often tell me that that was not just quite as good as it should be because that's what I want to hear because I want to improve. I want to. Yeah. I, I I always tell every, anyone around me, and including Carl, the kids, my friends. I said to them, you know, if something that I've made is not quite as good, then just let me know. And I and I do the same. And actually, in our house, Carl does most of the cooking because he's he? yeah because he's at home most of the time and he's looking after the kids more. Yeah. So he does more of the cooking and he does the kind of the comfort food. So yeah. this gnocchi is not really what I cook mostly. It's more this stuff, you know, the stuff with the herbs and the garlic yeah. and this. And secretly, I think the kids bef actually prefer his food, which yeah. is much more like, you know, fish pies oh. and, uh, and, you know, and beautiful bakes. Yeah. And he's really good at that. Because I think when you, as a cook, I know for me, like it's one thing when I'm cooking something up for people to eat, but it's actually those recipes that mean something to me. I'm scared to serve that to people because like this, that's, there's a reason why you eat that because it reminds you of your grandma and yeah, yeah. It's, it's a little bit of your life. I'm always scared to serve anything up that reminds me of my childhood because somebody might eat it and say yeah it's all right and that's and not like, what you want to hear dare. that's my entire childhood in a plate you've got to like it so that's why i'm like i was um, oh i'm so touched thank you oh my god that is your your grandma would be proud it's oh, really good i, I hope so <laughs> and just before we move on just because you were talking about childhood you know flavors and memories and those eight curries that your mom used to make yeah you say eight curries but literally Literally eight, she would. That's yeah. cooking all day. Not for and she like and she worked. Yeah, well, she works now and she still cooks eight curries every single day. And like she's a machine, and I don't know how she does it, but she it's like prep for her. She buys a big crate of garlic and ginger, and then she she calls us and says, "Can you come over and do the garlic and ginger for me?" I mean, that's what surely that's the reason why you've got six kids, right? They've got to be of some use. Yeah, exactly. Just like mine are. And ginger, and ginger <laughs> yeah. kids. Exactly. So she calls us and says, could you just come over and do my garlic and ginger? We'll sit and we'll have tea. And that's kind of become a bit of a does ritual. She, does she chop them in a food processor now? or does She, she does now. Yeah. Before she would do it by hand. by hand. But it becomes like an evening on a Saturday where we go around to mom's. She makes the tea. So she'll do the tea. While we're doing it, she'll look after the kids and she'll bring the tea and coffee around. She's like, and then she'll just look after us while we do her prep. garlic and ginger prep. It's like being at a restaurant. It's like you have to do all the... <laughs> Prep. And then she'd cook, right? She or she so would like. So she's got her months. Then she's got a month's supply of her garlic and ginger, which is the base of any really good curry. And she freezes that. Yeah. So she Brilliant. sticks. So it. she's got portions of garlic and ginger ready to start curries. That's it. And then she's always got a batch of frozen Scotch bonnets, depending on what she's cooking and whose head she wants to blow off. She <laughs> will have frozen Scotch bonnets in her freezer, and it's fresh veg because she's a great gardener. So she, through the summer, she uses her own vegetables, and then. She cooks eight curries, but she's very similar. This is why I feel like it's very similar to the way you eat. So we, when we eat a curry, she will pile your plate with rice and then you start with the first curry and it's always something like a fermented fish. So you always start off with fermented fish. And recently we've heard lots of things about how good fermented foods are for you and we don't eat enough. And she did all those. She's, she's been, been doing, doing it for years. She's been doing it. Her, my grandma's been doing it. My 
grand, you know, her mother's been doing and in Bangladesh, they all eat fermented fish. The first thing you put on your plate is the, like a fermented... How do you ferment the fish? Sorry, I'm just being a bit technical. Yeah, so you get, like, you get bamboo shoots yeah. and you can do this. I've done it myself in my dad's garden and hasn't always worked out, but it has. <laughs> So you just get an old bamboo shoot, which is dry, and then you stuff it with little fish, so little really bony fish yeah. with salt. So salt, you mix that with salt, let the kind of liquid draw itself out of the fish, and then you stuff it into these bamboo kind of cavities. Like anchovies in salt kind yeah. of thing. And then you plug it in, and then you wrap it up, and then you stick it in the ground for three months. But your mum surely doesn't do that still. No, you can buy it now. <laughs> you can buy it now. And I found, like, the alternative is shrimp paste. Like, yeah. So I get the same kind of hit, and my kids love it. The problem is you can't cook it in the house. Because it makes everything smell so much. Dinks! So one, yeah, so one of the ways that I do it sometimes, if I have to, I put the paste inside foil, uh, like, wrap it up like an envelope and stick mm -hmm. it in the oven to cook it off. Right. And then let it cool down and then open it and then put it where, for whatever, in whatever you want to do and then it doesn't give off such a bit. Shall, shall I tell you what my method is? What is yours? I have a plug outside in the garage and I have an induction <laughs> hob out there and I cook it you out You cook there. the stuff you don't want to smell. I don't want that smell. But then my husband hates it because his gym is in the garage and so he comes <laughs> in and he goes, have you been cooking Russian here again? And I was like, no, that was like two weeks ago. It yeah, literally it leaves it. Yeah, it's like fenugreek, isn't it? I'm just going to take this plate. You okay. don't need to behave but according to the rules, so you can have a bit of that with those. I won't. You won't? No. So this is the beetroot, roasted beetroot salad mm -hmm. with preserved lemon, yogurt, tahini, dill, and I red onion. I, I love dill. Dill is like a really popular oh. herb in Bangladesh. They use really? it in their fermented fish. What, so Bangladeshi food it's got its own identity that is different from all the kind of neighboring parts of India? It's not like Indian food. Yeah. You know, it's not heavily spiced. It's really lightly spiced and very brothy. Um, I mean, fermented fish is definitely something very particular to Bangladesh. Wow, I know um, I like it already, although yeah, I've never had it's that. really brothy and it just feels really good for you. And of course, our staple is rice. So most things start with rice. So whenever we eat, it's a plate of rice and then you start the first curry and then we always use our fingers and then you use your hands to eat and then then you like once you finish that you never add two at the same time then you go to the next one so there's like a system so you've got like the fermented fish then you've got vegetables then you've got your big fried fish there's always a slab of fried fish that you eat with raw onions <gasps> and then you have oh, um, chicken so there's always a chicken curry and then there's always a mutton curry so we always have a mutton um, and then at the end when you're finished you wash your hands you clean your plate you bring your plate back, and then my mum cooks a separate pot of sticky rice. So sticky rice with really thick double cream, good pinch of salt, and fresh mango. That's your dessert? That's our dessert. Wow. And then you go hands in, and it has wow. to be like the balance between the sweet mango and the salty, just and this big good sprinkle of salt, you go straight in and... And if wow. you don't, if, if mangoes aren't in season, we just use bananas and you could just have a banana. Wow. And if you don't have any of those fruit at home, my mum makes this sweet coconut with fennel and then she adds that. So this is incredible. It really reminds me of, of something I had in, in Thailand. So in Thailand, you can get sticky rice yeah. with mango. 
in as a kind of a street food snack. Yeah. And it's just so delicious. And it's, it is literally sticky rice with, with mango. And, and it's not a dessert in any kind of way we, that, we, that we understand it. Yeah. It's literally just... And, and I think the rice is cooked, obviously, with coconut. So it's coconut rice with mango. It's just the best combination. It's... it's the reason why, like in Bangladesh, there's an abundance of milk. They've got so many cows. And my granddad was a buffalo farmer, so we had so much cream. He would boil the milk. I remember he'd boil the milk for about two days, and this cream would sit on the top. And like, if you were his favorite, you'd get the first bit of cream from the top. Wow. And I was like, that, that, please, 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 can I have the cream? And he's like, yeah, go on then. And then he would give me this massive slab of cream. And then we'd have sticky rice and mango, which just growing on the trees, like... like so so the, ma- the men in your family are, were actually a bit less strict than the women, right? I mean, the stories that I've just... I've kind of translated. <laughs> so your grandma was strict, your mum was pretty strict, you're pretty strict, but actually your granddad was quite a little bit softer. I, I think because they were off out to work, they didn't have to ever deal with the kids. They're the ones that would come back and rile and the kids them. up and spoil them. And... My dad was exactly the same. He'd go off. He worked in a restaurant his whole life. He ran restaurants. And he'd leave and he'd come home at sort of... He'd come home late at night and then poke us all to wake us up and get us out of bed. And my mum was like, what are you waking up the kids for? They've got school tomorrow. But he'd wake us up and then he would sit with us... To have fun. Just to have fun. She's like, I have just like... She wants a break from us. And he's just gone and woken us up. And I think my granddad was the same. So whoever has the responsibility has to be stricter just to maintain that that, that, that structure. Because otherwise it all goes to pots if if they don't. Yeah, I mean, I think it's nice to have... I'm a firm believer in structure should happen on a Monday to Friday. Saturday and Sunday, throw you do what you want. every single rule book out. I mean, like, we are going to, this weekend, we're going to sleep in a tent outside and we're going to eat so much chocolate, it's going to make us want to vomit and we are going to eat so many ice lollies and we're just <laughs> going to chill out and we're going to make pizzas in the oven at the can back I, of the can garden. Can I come? You can totally come. Okay. You can Good. totally come. I'm going to squeeze, you squeeze your own lemon yep. so, over the fritter. Uh-huh. And that can get, you know, like, I didn't want to do yet Another thing with tahini, but it could get any th- any of those kind of rich, kind of sharp sauces, any any salsa, just to kind of moisten it. But it's it's nice as it is, so we can tuck in and enjoy this. Look at the green in that. Hmm. Oh my god! Oh, it's not like a normal omelet. No, it's mm. not. Well, don't forget it's got. It's bre- a fritter. It's got, it's got bread. It's, it's got yeah. It's got bread. And it's got the walnuts, so it's really Iranian. So in Iranian food, you find you find a lot of walnuts and a lot of herbs. Mm-hmm. So this is everything thrown into one thing. But what I love about it is that it's really the, it's it's something that you make with a, whatever you've got left, right. you know, or whatever herbs you've got, you chuck them in. Mm-hmm. You always have eggs. If you've got a bit of bread, you blitz it up, throw it in there. Whatever nuts you've got, and then you fry them, and then it is it's like a sandwich filler. You know why I like? You know why I'm slightly confused because it's called a fritten. A fritter to me is something that you eat in small bites. Mm. This is like a mahoosive fritter. It's huge. Yeah. This is maybe it's a more more of a frittata. Mm. Is this beetroot recipe in any of your books? Everything we cooked today, these three things, mm-hmm. isn't simple. I got my first copy actually yesterday. The beetroot has got preserved lemons and and cumin. I love this combination, lemon and cumin. Yeah, and the because um, the beetroot is. Sup- it's so sweet. Because even though beetroot has that kind of earthy flavour, it's still really, really, really like sweet. almost sugary sweet. Yeah. And that, that preserve, when you get that sudden 
like when you when you just bite into a preserved lemon, yeah. it's like ooh. Do you um, do you cook with beetroot? I I do like cooking with beetroot, but that's it's not something that. I've had to learn to experiment because when I learned to cook, it was all very Bangladeshi food. And so as I've kind of grown as a cook and, and once I had the kids, I always wanted to kind of experiment, but not kind of just be contained within Bangladeshi cooking. I wanted to always experiment. Because the, the book you've published recently about your family style cooking, yeah, it has a lot of dishes that I kind of straddle between traditional food of your tradition, the Bangladeshi tradition and Western English traditions. And, yeah. and I really love the way you do it. So it's kind of, <laughs> it's, it's kind of, there was one um, thing that you made, which is this, this puff pastry claw, the, the one that looks like claws, they've got ham and cheese. Uh, oh, the ham and cheese crown. The ham and cheese crown. Yeah. You make a ham and cheese crown. Yeah. And I got like, that is not traditional, right? No, not that at is all. just completely something that is. Have you seen the samosa pie? I've, I've seen the samosa <laughs> pie. Well, there's nothing traditional about that. But I think that's where I feel like I benefit as a cook is because I don't have, although I'm British, I'm also Bangladeshi and I'm I don't feel like I need to be in a box. There was a time perhaps three years ago where I would have said, mm, I really want to be kind of contained in this box and I want to be seen as British and British only. But actually, I have the luxury of being batting between two different worlds. Yeah. And why why can't I mix my two worlds? Because that's who I am. I'm a mixture of all of those things. And so... And that's what people like about you. I mean, that's, I, mean I think people love the idea that you are so natural mm. in... The two cultures, so I you, don't you don't... Yeah, no, I think that was the appeal. I think from the first time that the, kind of the world saw you on, on the Bake Off, they thought, like, you're, you feel very natural in, in both surroundings, you know, yeah. in that kind of very British Bake Off surrounding and of the bits that you, you could see from your being with your family, with your kids, with your husband, it just felt very natural. Yeah, I'm just, I think I'm really lucky that I can now... I've come sort of three years on... I feel like I've really come on and I, I feel like I don't have to kind of prove anything to anybody anymore. I, I like the way I cook and it's not conventional and there's no, like, I don't follow rules. I don't eat with my fork in my left hand. I always switch it around and I don't... Oh, yeah, you do. <gasps> Look. How come I, you I, eat I, that I, way around? I don't know because I copied my mum and my mum eats like that. She holds the fork with her right hand and even though she's a right-handed person and I do the same and I only noticed it, like, maybe... 10 or 15 years ago, I, I realized that I Do you I ever knew get told it. off? Do you ever get told to switch them around? No, nobody cares. I, I don't, we don't do manners. No? <laughs> no okay, well, no. not when you're eating anyway. No. Wow, yay! That makes me so <laughs> happy. Twins. I know. I thought I was the only person in the world who always gets told off for eating with the fork in the left who hand. Tells you off? I get told that it's not good etiquette to eat with your fork yeah. in your right oh, hand. Do you like, care about I don't care about etiquette. No. no. And that's kind of why I like this. This is, you know, for me, food is a way of expressing myself. Yeah, and absolutely. Being somebody who's from a part of so many different worlds, you know, I'm a Muslim, I'm, I'm a woman, I'm working in this industry that is so male heavy, that kind of part of me has to assert a little bit of authority and say, hey, hold on a second, I can be good at this and I can enjoy it. And like, it's taken me three years to get there because like I can do a samosa pie and be really proud of it and say, you know what, there's nothing wrong with the samosa pie. So, so you didn't come ready because I, you know, I watched you on the Bake Off. That's how I obviously, like the rest of the country got to know you and it seemed like you came with quite a bit of confidence already so i mean you you, yeah. you say often oh you know i've i've i'm a different person than i was three years ago but actually yeah. it felt like you're for someone who's you know who just appears on a sh on a sh cookery show like that there's so much pressure you felt really you know grounded well i if you when i think back to when i applied for bake-off which was my goodness well over three years now 
when I applied, I didn't actually do the application. It was my husband who did the application because I suffer quite badly with panic disorder. And it's been something that I've had since I was about seven. And, you know, there are times when even after having the kids, like I... I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't. Really? I would be stuck in bed and I'd say, I don't know why I feel like this. But, you know, it took me right to the edge, like literally to the edge. And I can't, like, I don't really know how to describe it, but it felt like living with a monster. And like some... Panic attack. Yeah. And some days the monster would shout in my face and other days he could just walk behind me and I just know he's there. And other days, you know, when I'm feeling really good, I can put him in my pocket and walk around and I can be just... Feeling confident. I can feel confident, but, you know, it might not be the same for me the next day. And I had a panic attack last week. Really? Because, yeah. So so you wouldn't actually put your name down for a cookery show because you thought you would have a panic attack? I just, I would never. I mean, who does that? Like, who, you know, with somebody who <laughs> suffers like the way I do and the way it, it, beca- it becomes so debilitating, why would you go on the biggest bakery show in all of UK? Like, why would you do that? And my husband did the application and he just, all he said was, I need you to do this because you've given us eight years of your life. And wow. like he, you know, he's done so well in his own career. And, you know, I'm so grateful because I have some really well-balanced, good, you know, kids who have a, such kind hearts. And he just said, you've done so much for us. I think it's time you do something for yourself because I feel like in the last eight years, I've lost you more than anybody else. Because he married one person, but I became somebody else completely what, different. What happened over, over these years? Because I thought that is what I wanted to ask you. From, from someone who has really kind of had was dedicated to raising a family and looking mm. after her kids and family, you turned into someone who's like almost like the opposite. Your career is just the way you're kind of... I would identify you now. Yeah. Of course, you said, you know, you're committed and you feel almost a bit guilty when you're not as mm. around enough for your kids. So how did you manage all those years for someone who's got so much creative energy mm. and so much desire to express herself to all those years of literally being... I'm not saying it in a prerogative way, but yeah. just a, how to, a housewife. It was, I think, because that was my job. When I got married, I said to my husband, look, you know, you earn more money than me. It makes no sense for me to go off to work. And it was a joint decision. It was never something. And we, we, I, find, I think we're really lucky that we had, we had, financially, we were able to have me at home to look after our children. Because not everyone can do that. Sometimes you, almost everyone needs two incomes to function as a family. And so I felt like I was really lucky. But of course, because I wasn't working, we didn't get to do nice things. We didn't, you know, because it was just one wage that paid the mortgage, that paid the bills, that fed the kids. But it wasn't always easy. You know, we didn't didn't have evening meals because we wanted to save enough money to buy a house. And, you know, that's the sacrifice you make. And, you know, when when we had our kids, you know, I had all this creative energy and I was desperate to learn. I was, and and I put that all into baking. And what I hadn't realised was that in those eight years, I was honing in this ability to be so confident in the kitchen that it would lead me somewhere else. And I would never have gone down that path had he not seen it. And, and I only baked because he liked cake. And, um, and, and I... <laughs> so he deserves a lot of the credit for being oh, there absolutely. and also pushing you. And, but when he signed you down to Bake Off yeah. and you did get accepted <laughs> and you heard about it for the first time that you're going to be on the show, did you get a panic attack? At that moment? Oh, I was panicking right up to it because you have to do... There are lots of stages to the interviews. So I was panicking all the way up leading up to it. I had loads of panic attacks. And I remember saying, when I got the phone call and they said, you've made it to the final 12, I, I called him and I said, by the way, look what you've done. I've just made it to the final 12. <laughs> what am I supposed to do now? And he said, well, 
He goes, no, think about it. You've worked this hard. It's like a job interview, isn't it? Just go. And he just said, he said, <laughs> he said whatever you do, this were, these are his famous last words. He said, whatever you do, don't get kicked out of the competition week one because that would be really embarrassing. <laughs> he goes, I can't brag about my wife being on Bake Off if you <laughs> get kicked out week one. one. So he goes, just try and stay in up to week five. And I remember getting up to week five and you have to practice all your bakes. And I remember practicing up to week four, got into week five, and I was like, well, I haven't even practiced these bakes. What am I supposed to do? Then I was baking in, you know, Monday to Friday when the kids were in bed, I was baking from seven o'clock in the evening, six thirty in the evening. I say that, but I would tell the kids that I would change the clocks and I would tell them that it was seven o'clock when really it was six thirty. <laughs> so I got extra half an hour. <laughs> And then I would send them off to bed. This was how you cheated for Bake Off, right? <laughs> no, there was no cheating involved there. Just my kids. I only cheat my kids. And then I'd send them off to bed. And then I would practice till three o'clock in the morning. And then I would practice. I became really superstitious. So I'd practice 11 times. And so one day my kids came down and I did this floating cheesecake. So I did the cheesecake tower yeah. with the floating can mm -hmm, of pop. Mm -hmm. And I, I left, and there were 11. By the time they had finished, I had made 11. That's 33 cheesecakes. 30 in one night? In one night, 33 oh. cheesecakes. I had, like, portable ovens. I had all sorts of... Just, I was making cheesecakes till it was just shocking. And just because I wanted to get the structure right. And by the end of it, I'd done 10, and I was like, I've got this. I don't need to do another one, but I've become so superstitious. I had to do the 11th one. And then the kids came down, and I went up to bed, and they came down after waking up, and they ran upstairs. I remember this almighty kind of, like, running up the stairs. They're like, Mummy! Someone made a cake. No, no, no. Can you imagine kids coming down and just seeing this levitating can of pop? And they go, Mummy, there's cans of pop in the kitchen. Just in the air. And it was so... St I was like, oh, my God, this is the magic, isn't it? That cooking and wow. baking creates that you can't get with anything else. And I just remember that feeling, thinking, this one's a winner. I reckon this is going to do really wow. well. They just, they were really surprised. But it was, you know, it wasn't something that I, um, I only did it because I thought it would get rid of my panic attacks. And my husband said, you know, it'll help you. And look where it's led me. So it's the, the weirdest thing is that you still get them even though you've kind of conquered the mm. most, the biggest challenges really yeah. uh, in the last couple of years. Um, I think I've just kind of learned to accept that my panic attacks, my panic disorder is a part of me. And I yeah. think it's kind of living with my monster now. I think rather than trying to get rid of it, like I kind of live with my monster now. Yeah. And I know that there's a reason why that monster appeared in the first place. And there's a reason why it's there. And kind of a part of me probably thinks that I've tried, you know, I've tried medication. And, you know, when you have medication, you feel nothing. And I just think, yeah. how can I be me if I feel nothing? And, and isn't part of growing up also, I, I find about myself that, things that used to really, really matter in the past matter less and less. So it's kind of, it's just a progressive process. You know, yeah. it, just, it just helps to be around and to be, to, you know, so you go over one crisis and you move on to the next crisis. You move things, and every time it's just a little bit easier. So it's never a dramatic shift. You're never cured of any, any of your in, insecurities or anxieties, but you're just better at coping and yeah. you're better at learning. And, and I think to grow up really in the deep sense of the, of the term is really to learn to kind of accept everything as it is, yeah. and which seems like what you've experienced. Yeah, I mean, it changes. The challenges are different. You know, our kids are growing up now, and they're sort of, they're 11, 10, and 7, and, and the challenges are different with boys, with girls, and yeah. just with life. And I think this is life. Yeah, they've, they've had to deal with a lot. Like, we've made a lot of changes in the last three years that they've How had to... How did they cope with all this exposure? Um, they, they definitely came a point where we had to say, right, 
what needs to change because something does need to change here because we were going out and you know I had a woman grab my arm and say I want a selfie and I said well, you could at least say please and I said look I don't do selfies when I'm with my kids you know because that I need that balance yeah. when I'm with the kids I'm happy to have a chat. People are always stopping me and having yeah. a chat. And I love that because the support that I get from these people is a reason why I'm here right now. Yeah. You know, they are the people who watch the shows. They are the people who buy the books. And I can't do that without that support. And I'm so grateful for that. But when I'm with my kids, I'm like, look, let's have a chat. Let's, you know, but I can't. You've got to, yeah. you've got to respect that my kids need that kind of, I've got to just step away. And, and the and woman grabbed my arm and she said, it's your job. And I was like, really? I think you'll find it's not my job. But, you know, if you ask really nicely, I might just say, okay, you know, yeah. I might change my mind that day. But so you get kind of that negative part of being in the public eye. Um, Absolutely. And, and also, I think one of the, the trouble is people think that they own you and they think they're the only one who's done that, you yeah. know, who's come back to <laughs> yeah. us and say, oh, I'm, you know, I'm such a fan. And it's quite difficult to tell your kids uh, to stay normal when there's so many things that are, aren't really normal happening around them. Mm. And that's, that's, a, that's a struggle. But I guess the, you, setting the boundaries is a really good thing to do because yeah. then you know you can control it to a certain level. Yeah, I mean, we've just found that when we go out, like we don't, I don't do selfies, but, you know, people always stop me and say hello and I don't mind that at all. But I've just found that home is a really safe place for us. And so <laughs> it's, you know, when we're at home, we can kind of kick back and do things it's about doing the normal things and I think that's where we have balance in our yeah. house is because what we want to do on a Friday night is have fish and chips play board games and watch a movie and that's what we do on a Friday night that's our thing that sounds like great fun to I me. know and I don't have to cook <laughs> <laughs> um I think we need to move on to dessert do you want to yeah eat some more a little bit and then yeah. we can move on to dessert okay I forgot about that that's a treat so I'm going to go grab some dessert. Okay. That is literally ready, so it's just about putting it in a bowl. You know dessert goes into a different stomach altogether. Like, that's a yeah, whole... Yeah, we all have another cow stomach. Yeah, me too. He just called me a cow. You did you just call me a cow? Each one is a cow stomach. I've got a cow stomach. <laughs> Talk me through this. What is this? This is, um, this there's is no a, way I was going to come here and uh, not. If you were not going to give me dessert, I would have, I would have demanded I know, dessert. and you know, when I, when I read it and you said she's got all these cakes in her house all the time, and we, we have cakes on the weekend, we don't have cakes all the time, so I just quite quickly ran, got all those biscuits and cookies for you, I was panicking, <laughs> I was like, oh no, there's no cake. You did right to do it, it was right. <laughs> but, uh, so this is a, this is strained yogurt with roasted strawberries with mint and, uh, sumac. And Sumac. It, yes. And dessert. A dessert, yeah. So we took I take the strawberries and I mix them with sugar and sumac and some whole uh, sprigs of mint uh -huh. and roast them in the oven. And then the, the yogurt is literally just strained. So it's like five ingredients. But really nice for the season, isn't it? Ooh. I would never put sumac in dessert. No, I wouldn't have. I think Paul Hollywood say he doesn't like or he doesn't even know what sumac was at one point on the wake off. Sumac is delicious. I mean, but I, it's to me, it's a savory ingredient. Mm. But it's so sharp and beautiful. Mmm. It's still a bit hot. I wanted mm. to, I didn't want to bake a cake for you. Mm -hmm. I thought it's a bit presumptuous and, you know. And Listen, also, yeah, nobody cooks for me. 
Nobody ever bakes for me. Okay. So I would have been You're happy okay. with anything. Literally nobody <laughs> ever, ever bakes for me. And the last cake that really I got... Really because that, they feel that they, they're just going to disappoint you or... I don't know. Like, I'm not a judgmental person. I'll eat anything. Like, I'm, I, I'm the same. I, I eat anything. Put it in front of me. I eat on an it. airplane, like, whatever they serve. <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy. Yeah, like, people assume that, like, if I'm on a plane, I'll complain about all the different... It's like, no. no, I am happy to get a pasty from the train station. Like, I yeah. am totally okay with It's that. It's okay. It's nice because somebody else does the cooking for you. And you also adjust your expectations to the event, right? Like, so <laughs> when you go on an airplane, you don't expect a gourmet meal. You just explain airplane food. But that's what you, you know, that I'm so glad you said that. So next time I'll bake a cake. But talking about cakes, so you baked the, the Queen's 90th birthday cake. Yep. Were you disappointed they didn't ask you to bake the cake for the recent royal wedding? Uh, no, absolutely not. That's way too much pressure. Like it's already like, you know, for me, it was just, it was, it's so much pressure baking the cake for the Queen. But like for me, the royal family, they're just almost like, they're like a little bit like Disney. Yeah, Do you know, they are. they are a fairy tale. They almost feel like they're not real. So that entire process and meeting her and baking her a cake felt completely like it didn't happen. As really? It was a complete It's honor. not part of your life. It's well, part it's, of someone else's life. Well, it's somebody else, isn't it? It's like, it's just, it was such a weird and surreal and bizarre situation to be in that it almost felt like it wasn't real. I mean, I don't even know if she even ate a slice. Like, I don't even know if she had a slice of her own birthday cake. So it, 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 yeah, like, it yeah. doesn't, that's something about that doesn't feel real. Because she took a bit home with her and then, but she, because she doesn't eat in public, does she, the no, queen? No, she doesn't. Like, she, no, she doesn't. So, but it's quite, you know, like for me, a Muslim woman, like you imagine, you imagine, I, God knows who was watching, but imagine <laughs> like a Muslim woman, queen, and I've got a knife in my hand. I'm, I'm just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, you're all thinking it. Everyone thinks it. They're like, oh God, who let the Muslim woman near the queen do with a knife? Really, do you think someone <laughs> thought that? Of course they did. Come on. Let's just address that elephant in that room because... Of course they did. Muslim woman, queen, like literally I, like a foot away from me and a knife. I I'm just saying. I love that you said that just now. That is just... It's true. It's, it's what everyone thinks. And I'm not going to, like, I don't hide behind that anymore. I'm like, I know you're all thinking it. But look, I baked her a cake. I wasn't going to do anything. But they think it. People think it. People automatically. I have to be the one that has to answer for a Muslim when they do something But having so much exposure as a Muslim woman, um, like, I guess there's a lot of Muslim women that people are aware of, you know, in, on TV, etc. But as a kind of a popular figure that you have turned into, that puts quite a lot of pressure, right, on you. Yeah, I mean, it's, I hadn't realized how much pressure it was until sort of more recently. I think at first I kind of wanted to just do a job. I was like, oh, I really yeah. want to do this. I really like doing this. And I was really grateful for every opportunity and I still am you know I'm grateful for every time I get to write a book every time I get to film something it's really exciting but nobody nothing will ever prepare you for the pressure that of of being a part of all these different worlds like I'm you know I'm being British uh Bangladeshi being a Muslim being a brown woman in this in you know being yeah. brown and being a woman in this very male-heavy industry. I kind You're kind of, of a to, part of every possible minority. Which means that I have got... I'm, I'm looking down a barrel at every angle. You know, everywhere I go, somebody is try, telling me that I'm not good enough. Everywhere I go, somebody's telling me, yeah, but, you know... You're so you experienced those things before the expo big exposure, but after the big exposure, how does 
because you'd think like once you've proved yourself so much and on so many levels as a as a successful baker on, on as a successful writer as a successful cookery writer or yeah. all those things where would you get an opportunity to get those kind of ne- negative um, feedbacks i mean nothing you know nothing's changed if anything the more i do i feel like i get those same questions but It, but the, the questions don't change. Like my new book, Family Favourites, when that was out, with every single book, you have this kind of PR team and yeah. you know, you've got to do all the kind of media and the newspapers and things like that. And you sit down and, you know, when, I, like, when you've got a book out, you really want to talk about this book yeah. and you're really proud of all the recipes and things like that. And I was desperate to tell everyone about my carrot cake pakoras. I was like, come on, guys, get involved with my carrot cake pakoras. But I get asked questions like... You know, what's it like being a Muslim woman? And, and how do you feel about politics right now? And, what, you know, and, and I don't see anybody else getting asked those questions. So that's because of the novelty effect, right? That's Perhaps. because of the novelty. So they, they, that just draws a lot of attention because there's, there aren't that many people in that particular position. So they want to get... I'm, I've met someone like that for the yeah. first time. There's, there's a lot of that. And but, also, but I also want to just be a cook like yeah. everybody else. You know, as much as I'd love to talk about all the other things, you know, I kind of want to just talk about my yeah. samosa pie and my back-to-front <laughs> cheesecake and my, you know, my carrot cake pakora. I want to talk about those things because I'm excited. And your samosa bake. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like these are the things that, you know, I worked hard. You know what it's like to write yeah. a book. It takes months and lots of testing and you literally give yourself completely for this book. And, you know, when you're doing that, you're kind of like, oh, I kind of wanted to just talk about my, you know, my yeah. cooking, not, not, not why, what it feels like to be a Muslim woman. And I guess one of the reasons is also like there's so many cookbooks around mm. and so many cookbooks published that the, one of the ideas that I think people have when they read about books, they want to know the story behind the story. So the recipes themselves are one good thing, yeah. but without the context or without the stories. And one of the things that I think you do really well is tell stories. Yeah. So, I, you know, with your novel, with your, you know, family stories and mm. kid stories, it, it just, it does become very evident that you can do more than just create recipes. And I think they, they want to hear about that. And since you're a thinking person and you're not just any baker, any cook, you're a particular kind of cook from a particular mm. background. It's very tempting to want to know more and to kind of make, Absolutely. create the, the, you know, make the whole picture for Yeah. But I, I'm, I'm in balance to that argument. I absolutely understand, even though I want to just talk about my cooking and yeah. my baking and, and, and my passion for food and, and how much I, you know, I literally, I'm engrossed. I can't, that's all I think. I eat and I think food and that's kind of all yeah. I do. And then I raise my kids in between. That's it. That's yeah. kind of all I do. I feel exactly the same. Yeah. It's, it, you, I get often, I've, you know, because I've written books with, um, with Sami Tamimi, who's Palestinian. So there's this kind of Jewish-Palestinian partnership. Yeah. And often I come in and, the, and people like this, but I haven't published, we haven't published a book together for, you know, the last three books we haven't done together. People always want to know what it is like and how does it feel to be like the symbol of peace. And I always, I always say, yeah. I never perceive myself as a symbol. And I think you, I've just, you know, between raising the kids and, and you know, changing nappies and making meals and coming home yeah. and writing books and... I don't have time to think about it. So you you never think of yourself as a symbol of no. anything. You're just your daily reality. That's what yeah. you are. Yeah, I mean, like, I'm Muslim and my agent's Jewish. So, I mean, you could call that the symbol of peace, couldn't you? <laughs> Nobody ever said that to you, did they? <laughs> they don't. But, you know, in, in, um, to balance that, it's just, you know, I also understand the importance. I understand the importance of being a young Muslim woman, you know, of colour, in the public eye people want to 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 get hope they yeah, see hope in that absolutely. they go see someone like you and they go actually 
if she made it, it means something very positive about our society. Yeah, I, you know, we can I, move forward. I get that because I think three years ago, if you had asked me the same question, I'd say, no, no, I kind of want to hide away. I want to do my job. I want to enjoy doing this, but I don't want anyone to constantly question me about being a Muslim. But actually, I get the importance because there aren't that many of me out yeah. there and there are there are going to be lots more but they just need the confidence to say you know what if an average joe like nadia can do it then so can i and i think that's really really important because i am not from a rich background we are working class my dad works so hard and you can tell by looking at his hands they're rough he works you know he's worked hard his whole life he hasn't had anything given to him my mum has struggled so much in raising us and to you know for us to be where we are today and you know, none of this came without a struggle, and I don't ever, for a second, forget that because yeah. because I, because because of the struggle, yeah, because it wasn't given to you, you can actually expect other kids or young people of your background. You can tell them, okay, well, actually, I, it, it wasn't given to me. I strived and I achieved it, and my parents did, and my grandparents did. Then yeah. you can go out and get it, yeah, yourselves. Yeah, and I understand that now. I didn't. I definitely didn't understand that. A few years ago, but, but I, it can I, be annoying. I can yeah. see that. <laughs> Back to that argument again. <laughs> it's a little bit annoying. Um, Nadia, thank you so much. This is incredible. Really, thank you. yeah. This is just so. Thanks so for feeding pleasant. me. Oh, you're welcome. Can I have some more? Yeah, please. Okay. So, Nadia, you're going home tonight. Who's cooking? <laughs> well, my husband has. Um, He's taken the easy route and he's just said, should we drop the kids off to the tutors and then you and I will go out and have some dinner somewhere. So it means neither of us cook today. Oh, that is so, so nice. brilliant. This that is, is perfect, isn't it? Yeah, special treat, yeah. And I've got, I've got something that I'm going to send home with you for him to just is, a little something sweet. Okay. To, um, you yeah. know, to just to, you know, because he wasn't here and I think he feels a little bit left out, right? Because yeah. he said he would want this and that and yeah. that. Yeah, oh my goodness. I've got something for him. Have you? Oh yeah. my God, he's going <laughs> to die of excitement. And I don't know how I'm supposed to now get off that cheese crack that you fed me because that is <laughs> good. You're just going to have to make it yourself. <laughs> I yeah. am. <laughs> Nadia, thank you so much for coming on my podcast. It's been amazing. Thank you so much for feeding me. <laughs> Thanks to Nadia and thank you for listening. Please review the show if you liked it and don't forget to see the recipes we featured at ottolenghi.com. The Simple Pleasures podcast is sponsored by my new cookbook, Ottolenghi Simple, which is available at all good bookshops. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Until then, from me, Yotam Ottolenghi, goodbye 